lads and ladies, welcome to the Junior Classics. Hi there, I'm Sir Bradley Hassey, a teller of borrowed tales. Join me as I share stories of courage, adventure, and wonder. But don't take my word for it. You can find out for yourself on today's Junior Classic. Who art thou? I could show you that. Old woman, dost thou know why the gods are so merry this evening? Mother, a dreadful way this is thou showest. Greetings, Junior Scholars. I am Sir Bradley Hassey, guardian of the written word and your guide through the Junior Classics. Our mission is to safeguard the classics and inspire children to a love of good reading and a real and lasting interest in literature and history. If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining us. And a very special thank you to my loyal listeners who tune in each and every episode. And especially my Patreon supporters who help keep the show going and growing. If you like what we are doing, creating stories for the good of your kids, consider supporting me on Patreon for five bucks a month. Today, we continue with the Northern Saga the story of Baldur the Beautiful. But before we get to the story... Lost and found words! Listen carefully to these words and their meanings and try and spot them during the story. Our first word today is calamity with a C, calamity. This is an event causing great and often sudden damage or distress. You could also say a disaster. Baldur is troubled by dreams of great calamity or disaster. Our second word today is idle with an I, idle. This means avoiding work or lazy. Mother Frigga was busy with work, not idle or lazy. Our third word today is cunning with a C, cunning. This means showing skill in getting what one wants by deceit or evasion. You could also say crafty, sly, or devious. Loki is often scheming or getting what he wants by being cunning. Our next word is transfixed with a T, transfixed. This is when someone becomes motionless with horror or wonder. You could also say mesmerized, captivated, or stunned. And our last word today is accost with an A, accost. This is when you approach or speak to someone boldly or aggressively. Hoder is told he must accost or speak boldly to the gloomy queen of the underworld. And that's all for today's Lost and Found Words. Now on to the show. the beautiful had hair and eyebrows as white as snow. The gods loved him so much they didn't want any harm to come to him. His mother Frigga went through all the world and made everything promise it would not harm Baldur. She didn't only get pledges from every human, dwarf, and elf, but all the trees, rocks, and every living thing. When she returned to Asgard, she proclaimed that no harm would ever come to Baldur. Once this had been done, the gods created a game to entertain themselves, where they put Baldur in a ring and threw stuff at him. They threw rocks and spears and shot arrows at him for fun. Secure in their thinking, he could not be harmed. 
Seeing this, Loki becomes jealous of Balder and devises a plan to find out if everything really did swear an oath to never harm Balder. He discovers that there is indeed one thing that did not swear, a young tree, a mistletoe, that seemed too young to Frigga to ask it to swear an oath. What will Loki do with this knowledge? We'll find out on today's Junior Classic. This is the tale the Norsemen tell of the sad fate of Baldur the Beautiful. The story of Baldur the Beautiful. the sons of Odin was Baldur the Beautiful, Baldur of the snow-white brow and golden locks, and he was well-beloved not only by the Asa folk, but also by the men of the earth below. Of all the twelve round Odin's throne, Baldur the Beautiful alone, the sun god, good and pure and bright, was loved by all as all love light. Baldur had a twin brother named Hoder was born blind. Gloomy and silent was he, but nonetheless, he loved his bright sun brother best of all in heaven or earth. The home of Baldur was a place with silver roof and pillars of gold, and nothing unclean or impure was allowed to come inside its doors. Very wise in all magic charms was this radiant young god, and for all others save himself, he could read the future. But to keep his own life safe and see the sun was not granted to him. Now there came a time when Baldur's bright face grew sad and downcast. And when his father Odin and his mother Frigga perceived this, they implored him to tell them the cause of his grief. Then Baldur told them that he had been troubled by strange dreams. And since in those days, men believed that dreams were sent as a warning of what was about to happen, he had gone heavily since these visions had come to him. First he had dreamt that a dark cloud had arisen which came before the sun and shut out all brightness from the land. The next night he dreamt again that Asgard lay in darkness and that her bright flowers and radiant trees were withered and lifeless, and that the Asa folk, dull and withered also, were sorrowing, as though from some great calamity. The third night he dreamt again that Asgard was dark and lifeless, and that from out of the gloom one sad voice cried, Woe! 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 For Baldur the Beautiful is dead, is dead. Odin listened to the recital of this story with heavy heart, and at its conclusion, he mounted his coal-black horse and rode over many a hard and toilsome road till he came to the dark abode of Hela. And there he saw to his surprise that a great banquet was being prepared in the gloomy hall. Dishes of gold were set upon the table, 
and all the couches were covered with the richest silken tapestry, as though some honored guest were expected. But a throne that stood at the head of the table was empty. Very thoughtfully, Odin rode on through those dim halls, till he came to one where dwelt an ancient prophetess, whose voice no man had heard for many a long year. Silent he stood before her, until she asked in a voice that sounded as though it came from far away, Who art thou? And from whence dost thou come to trouble my long rest? Now Odin was fearful that she would not answer him till he gave his real name. So he told her that he was the son of Valtum, and asked anxiously for whom the grim goddess of death was preparing her banquet. Then, to his great grief, the hollow voice of the prophetess replied that Baldur was the expected guest, and that he would shortly be sent thither, slain by the hand of Hoder, the blind god of darkness. Who then shall avenge the death of Baldur? Asked Odin in sorrowful tones. And she answered that the son of the earth goddess, Vali by name, should neither comb his raven hair, nor wash his visage in the stream, nor see the sun's departing beam, till he on Hoder's corpse shall smile, flaming on the funeral pile. And learning thus of the fate of his two favorite sons, all Father Odin went sadly back to Asgard. Meantime, Mother Frigga had not been idle. Filled with anxiety for her darling son, she decided to send her servants throughout the earth, bidding them exact a promise from all things, not only living creatures, but plants, stones, and metals, fire, water, trees, and diseases of all kinds, that they would do no harm in no way to Baldur the Beautiful. Theirs was an easy task, for all things loved the bright sun god and readily agreed to give the pledge. Nothing was overlooked, save only the mistletoe, growing upon the oak tree that shaded the entrance to Valhalla. It seemed so insignificant that no one thought it worthwhile to ask this plant to take the oath. The servants returned to Frigga with all the vows and compacts that had been made, and the mother of gods and men went back with heart at ease to her spinning wheel. The Asa folk too were reassured, and casting aside the burden of care that had fallen upon them, they resumed their favorite game upon the plains of Edavold, where they were wont to contend with one another in the throwing of golden discs. And when it became known among them that nothing would hurt Baldur the Beautiful, they invented a new game. Placing the young sun god in their midst, they would throw stones at him, or thrust at him with their knives, or strike with their wooden staves, and the wood or knife or the stone would glance off from Baldur and leave him quite unhurt. 
This new game delighted both Balder and the Asa folk, and so loud was their laughter that Loki, who was some distance away pursuing one of his schemes in the disguise of an old woman, shook with rage at the sound. For Loki was jealous of Balder, and as is usual with people who make themselves disliked, nothing gave him such pleasure as to see a group of the Asas on such happy terms with each other. Presently in his wanderings, Loki passed by the house of Fenselir, in the doorway of which sat Frigga at her spinning wheel. She did not recognize Red Loki, but greeted him kindly and asked, Old woman, dost thou know why the gods are so merry this evening? They are casting stones and throwing sharp knives and great clubs at Balder the Beautiful, who stands smiling in their midst, daring them to hurt him. Then Frigga smiled tranquilly and turned again to her wheel, saying, Let them play on, for no harm will come to him whom all things in heaven and earth have sworn not to hurt. Art thou sure, good mother, that all things in heaven and earth have taken this vow? Aye, indeed. All save a harmless little plant, the mistletoe, which grows on the oak by Valhalla. And this is far too small and weak to be feared. And to this, Loki replied in musing voice, nodding his head as he spoke. Yea, thou art right, great mother of gods and men. But the wicked Asa had learnt what he desired to know. The instrument by which he might bring harm to Balder the Beautiful was now awaiting him, and he determined to use it to the dire sorrow of Asgard. Hastening to the western gate of Valhalla, he pulled a clump of the mistletoe from the oak and fashioned therefrom a little wand or stick. And with this in his hand, he returned to the plain of Edivold. He was far too cunning, however, to attempt to carry out his wicked design himself. His malicious heart was too well known to the Asa folk but he soon found an innocent tool. Leaning against a tree and taking no part in the game was Hoder, the blind god, the twin brother of Balder, and to him he began. Hark to the Aces, how they laugh. Do you take no share in the game, good Hoder? Not I, for I am blind and know not where to throw. I could show you that. "'Tis no hard matter, Hoder, and methinks the Aces will call you proud and haughty if you take no share in the fun." "'But I have nothing to throw,' said poor blind Hoder. Then Loki said, "'Here, at least is a small shaft. Twill serve your purpose.'" And leading innocent Hoder into the ring, he cunningly guided his aim. Hoder well pleased to be able to share in a game with his beloved brother, boldly sped the shaft, expecting to hear the usual shouts of joyous laughter which greeted all such attempts. There fell instead dead silence on his ear, and immediately on this followed a wail of bitter agony. For Balder the Beautiful had fallen dead without a groan, his heart transfixed by the little dart of mistletoe. 
So on the floor lay Balder dead, and round lay thickly strewn swords, axes, darts, and spears, which all the gods in sport had idly thrown at Balder, whom no weapon pierced or clove. But in his breast stood fixed the fatal bow of mistletoe, which Loki the accuser gave to Hoder. An unwitting Hoder threw, against that alone had Baldur's life no charm. Dreading he knew not what, Hoder stood in doubt for some moments, but soon the meaning of that bitter wail was borne in upon him, piercing the cloud of darkness in which he always moved. He opened wide his arms as though to clasp the beloved form, and then with I have slain thee, my brother. Despair seized him, and he fell prostrate in utter grief. Meantime, the Asa folk crowded round the silent form of Balder, weeping and wailing. But alas, their moans and tears could not bring back Balder. At length, all Father Odin whose grief was too deep for lamentations, bade them be silent and prepare to bear the body of the dead Asa to the seashore. The unhappy Hoder, unable to take part in these last offices, made his way sadly through Asgard, beyond the walls and along the seashore, until he came to the house of Fenselir. Frigga was seated upon her seat of honor, before the fire against the inner wall, and standing before her, with bent head and woeful sightless gaze, Hoder told her of the dread mishap that had befallen. Tell me, O oh mother, he cried in ending, and his voice sounded like the wail of the wind on stormy nights. Tell me, is there aught I can do to bring my brother back? Or can I make agreement with the dread mother of the underworld, giving my life in exchange for his? Woe crowded upon woe in the heart of Frigga as she listened to the story. The doom was wrought that she had tried so vainly to avert, and not even her mother's love had availed to safeguard the son so dearly cherished. On Balder death hath laid her hand, not thee, my son. Yet though we fail in the end, there is much that may be tried before all hope is lost. Then she told Hoder of a road by which the abode of Hela could be reached, one which had been traveled by none living save Odin himself. Who goes that way must take no other horse to ride but Sleipnir, Odin's horse, alone. Nor must he choose that common path of gods, which every day they come and go in heaven. O'er the bridge by frost, where is Heimdall's watch, but he must tread a dark, untraveled road, which branches from the north of heaven, and ride nine days, nine nights, toward the northern ice, through valleys deep engulfed with roaring streams, and he will reach on the tenth morn a bridge which spans with golden arches, Gules stream. Then he will journey through no lighted land, nor see the sun arise, nor see it set, 
and he must fare across the dismal ice northward until he meets a stretching wall, barring his way and in the wall a grate, but then he must dismount and on the ice, tighten the girths of Sleipnir, Odin's horse, and make him leap the grate and come within. There in that cheerless abode, dead Balder was enthroned. But, said Frigga, he who braves that dread journey must take no heed of him, nor of the sad ghosts flitting to and fro like eddying leaves. First, he must accost their gloomy queen and entreat her with prayers, telling her all that grief they have in heaven for Balder, whom she holds by right below. A bitter groan of anguish escaped from Hoder when Frigga had finished her recital of the trials which must be undergone. Mother, a dreadful way this is thou showest. No journey for a sightless god to go. Thyself thou shalt not go, my son, but he whom first thou meets when thou comes to Asgard, and declares this hidden way shall go, and I will be his guide unseen. Meantime, the Asa folk had felled trees and had carried to the seashore outside the walls of Asgard a great pile of fuel, which they laid upon the deck of Baldur's great ship, Ringhorn, as it lay stranded high upon the beach. Seventy ells and four extended. On the grass, the vessel's keel. High above it, gilt and splendid, rose the figurehead ferocious, with its crest of steel. Then they adorned the funeral pyre with garlands of flowers, with golden vessels and rings, and finely wrought weapons and rich necklets and armlets. And when this was done, they carried out the fair body of Balder the Beautiful, and bearing it reverently upon their shields, they laid it upon the pyre. Then they tried to launch the good ship, but so heavily laden was she that they could not stir her an inch. The mountain giants, from their heights afar, had watched the tragedy with eyes that were not unpitying, for they had no ill will for Balder, and they sent and told of a giantess called Herokin, who was so strong that she could launch any vessel whatever its weight might be. So the Asa sent to fetch her from Giant Land, and she soon came, riding a wolf for steed and twisted serpents for reins. When she alighted, Odin ordered four of his mightiest warriors to hold the wolf, but he was so strong that they could do nothing until the giantess had thrown him down and bound him fast. Then, with few enormous strides, Hyrokin reached the great vessel and set her shoulder against the prow, sending the ship rolling into the deep. The earth shook with the force of the movement, as though with an earthquake, and the Asafo collided with one another, like pine trees during a storm. The ship, too, with its precious weight, was well nigh lost. At this, Thor was wroth, and seizing his hammer, would have slain the giantess had not the other Asas held him back, bidding him not to forget the last duty to the dead god. 
So Thor hollowed the pyre with a touch of his sacred hammer and kindled it with a thorn twig, which is the emblem of sleep. Last of all, before the pyre blazed up, all Father Odin added to the pile of offerings his magic ring, from which fell eight new rings every ninth night. And bending, he whispered in Baldur's ear. But none to this day know the words that Odin spoke thus in the ear of his dead son. Then the flames from the pyre rose high, and the great ship drifted out to sea, and the wind caught the sails and fanned the flames, till it seemed as though sky and sea were wrapped in golden flame. And while they gazed, the sun went lurid down, into the smoke-wrapped sea, and night came on. But through the dark they watched the burning ship, still carried o'er the distant waters, but fainter, as the stars rose high it flared, and as, in a decaying winter fire, a charred log falling makes a shower of sparks. So with a shower of sparks the pile fell in, reddening the sea around, and all was dark. And thus did Baldur the Beautiful pass from the peaceful steads of Asgard, as passes the sun when he paints the evening clouds with the glory of his setting. The story of Baldur the Beautiful continues in our next tale, How Hermod Made a Journey to the Underworld. Until then, I am Sir Bradley Hasse. Be brave, be loyal, and speak the truth. Now for you parents out there, I want you to understand why we are doing this, what we are trying to achieve, and how you can help us. This is a rescue operation to preserve the classics and the wisdom within before it is lost forever. Our goal is to inspire children with a love of good reading by safeguarding and breathing new life into the greatest stories in history and empower you, the parents, with a resource you can trust to enrich your child's mind and spirit. We don't want these stories and the wisdom within to be forgotten so our children don't have to learn these lessons on their own. The most important thing you can do for us is to spread the message and tell others about these stories and what we are doing. If you want to donate, we would love that as well. My promise is that 100% of donations will go to building the impact and quality of the Junior Classics. If you have feedback and thoughts on how we can do things better, please send an email to juniorclassicspodcast at gmail.com. You're listening to the Junior Classics. <laughs>